All right, let's, uh, let's stand in honor of reading of God's word. So stand with me. Hebrews 4. And I'm going to be honest. Uh, this is why I love preaching through books of the Bible, because otherwise I probably would never land on this passage. All right? So this is why I love it, and I, I love that we're a community who, who loves to, to listen and learn this way. Verse 4. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angel, angels winds and his, his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you are the same and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You can be seated. Um, you see why I wouldn't just nat- naturally like, okay, let's, let's, let's talk through this. Um, Reminder, since we've only been in Hebrews uh, one week, the common thread that we are seeing in in the subtitle of even our our series is this, is that the author of Hebrews is trying to communicate this one very important fact, that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than anything else in the whole wide world. Jesus is better than, than that which we hold closest to us. Jesus is better than the suffering or the struggle, struggle that you're walking through. Jesus is better than the success that you have faced. Jesus is better. He's greater. And listen, when we as a community, when we as individual Christ followers and as a corporate community get a hold of that, and that becomes our anthem, I said this last week, it'll ruin us. It'll like Isaiah 6 ruin us, right? Where Isaiah gets a glimpse of just a small glimpse of the glory of God and he is ruined forever, right? And he has to be purified because he's like, woe is me, a man of unclean lips. Like it just ruins me. If we will see the Jesus of Hebrews, it'll ruin us as a community. And let me tell you, we need to be ruined. We need to be ruined to those desires and those things that we have just clasped onto as so cherished and as so um, important to us. We need to see Jesus as supreme. And that's what, hear me, that's what vividly Hebrews does. And so this morning, uh, this is an interesting area in Hebrews. And so what you'll put, if you're taking notes at the top, you'll put this, uh, Jesus is greater than the angels. Okay, this is a passage about, um, this is a passage that includes the word angels a lot. This is not a passage about angels, as I will explain, but I want to set up um, kind of a, a biblical survey of what angels are, and probably for most of you, what they are not, okay? Um, statistics tell us just in any given room, this is not in, in, in a church or anything like that, but eight out of 10 people believe in angels, believe that they're true. And most of you, you, you would probably agree with that. Probably that statistic in here would be higher. Um, in a room full of students, so this would be middle school and high school students, that number would look more like 
90% of high school students, middle school students, and probably I would say college age, believe in angels. That's a lot. And I bet in this room, like I said, I bet the number of percentage is even higher. So I say that, that I'm not dealing here with a room full of skeptics, right? Like, I don't know, angel, I don't, I don't know if I believe. Maybe there's some of you, maybe there's, there's always that one, uh, you, know, uh, you know, that we'll talk about later. But um, there's always somebody like that. But for the majority of you, you believe in angels. And so the question is not convincing you that angels are real. The question then becomes, what do you believe about angels? What do you believe about the angelic? And particularly, where did you get that information? What forms your thoughts or your belief around angels? What caused you to draw those conclusions? I'm going to tell you where I'm going to draw my conclusions on angels is from the word of God. Okay, There are a lot of extra-biblical beliefs about angels. I'll only probably talk about one of those. But I want to know what the Bible says about angels. Okay, And so hear me, I am going to go very quickly, Genesis to Revelation, on angels. All right, So you need to listen really quick. I'm even going to put a slide up with a lot of words on it. And so just just listen quickly Okay, on angels. Because I want to know what the Bible says about angels. But before we get to the Bible, let's, let's look at what Wayne Grudem says about angels. Wayne Grudem is a systematic theologian, and he gives a very simple definition of angels, which I really like and think is helpful. And this is what he says. Angels are created spiritual beings with moral judgment and high intelligence, but without physical bodies. Okay? And that is broad and wide on purpose, right? Dr. Grudem is a very smart man who knows his Bible. He knows what the Word of God says and what it doesn't say about angels, and he gives a very broad definition about them. And so I kind of want to unpack this so that we can set a foundation and then merge back into Hebrews and why, why he would maybe put this right here. All right, so the first thing is this, that angels, and Grudem alluded to this, are spiritual in nature. Angels are spiritual in nature. Angels are supernatural spiritual beings created by God. This is Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6, who move between heaven and earth. They are usually invisible to human beings, but they can make themselves known either in a form that is indistinguishable from that of a human. This would be Genesis 19, Judges 13, Judges uh, in 13, verses 6, 8, 10, and 11. Hebrews 13 will also talk about these angels as well. Or they are glorious heavenly beings. This is what we see most often in the New Testament. However, they differ from humans in that the angels do not marry and they do not experience death. This is Mark 12 and Luke 20. Angels are different from humans. Angels, second, are righteous and blameless. Maybe this is something new for some of you. Angels are righteous and blameless. The angels who refuse to follow Satan are called blameless and righteous throughout the pages of Scripture. You say, wait a minute, the angels who chose to follow Satan? Yeah, the the, the Bible talks about a, a third of the angels rebelling against God, and they are cast out of heaven. So that should tell you another thing, that angels have free will. And those that do not choose to rebel against God are righteous and blameless. And so that third cast out of heaven has a leader known as Satan. And typically those fallen angels are known as demons or unclean spirits. But the angels who chose or refused to follow Satan are righteous and blameless. 
Angels, third, possess an abundance of wisdom. This is what Grudem calls high intelligence. You can see this in, in the Bible in places like 2 Samuel chapter 14 and verses 17 through 20, where it talks about this measure of wisdom, especially in discerning good and evil, that is carried by angels that is beyond human beings like you and me. And so that is a quick picture of their nature, okay? That is the nature of angels, spiritual beings, righteous and blameless, abundance of wisdom. Now, what roles do angels play? And this is where things get a lot just extra biblical, right? But this is what the scriptures say. Angels primarily offer worship to God. They worship God. That's what they do. We see this all throughout the Old Testament. We see this in Revelation, the last book of your Bible, Revelation 5, where it says the angels numbering 10,000 times 10,000 encircle the throne in a loud voice. They call out, worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Like that's, that's what angels are made and designed to do, to worship God. Angels also, however, they serve as messengers from God to humans. And in the Old Testament of your Bible, you will see this a lot, that the way in which God mediated particularly his law to humans was through the vehicle of an angel. You see this in Genesis 22. You see this in Exodus chapter 3, Exodus chapter 33, 1 Chronicles 21. We see this in the announcement. This is where you, you guys would understand that angel is a messenger. And actually the word angel is the word malach. Sound familiar with a book we just went through? Malachi, which meant what? Messenger. And so the word angel itself means messenger. And, and, and typically when we think of angels bringing messages, you should think of a season, right? Christmas, right? Like, and, and we're kind of desensitized to it, right? Where these angels come and they make these announcements. That's one of their jobs. That's one of their roles that God gives to them is to make these announcements. Next, angels assist in accomplishing God's redemptive purposes. They are on mission for God's redemptive plan in the world. Genesis 24, Acts 7, Galatians 3, Exodus 33. These are all places where angelic beings or hosts of angels are carrying along the redemptive plan of God. Angels help and protect God's people. This is next to the last one on the slide right here. Angels help and protect God's people. Um, this is where, this is the one I, I do want to address because the Bible doesn't speak specifically about something called a guardian angel. That's a common held belief in a, a lot of churches, a lot of Christians. However, when we survey the pages of our Bible, we do not see a specific guardian angel attached to each person, okay? You say, well, if it doesn't say it, does it mean that? No, I'm just saying it doesn't say it, so therefore I'm not going to teach it as fact, what I see in the pages of scripture is that God does protect his people. And so sports analogy here, okay? Think of it less like man-to-man defense and think more zone, okay? So when God wants to send his protection, he sends his angels in certain places. The idea of a guardian angel, actually, we can kind of trace it back to someone named Doreen Virtue. Doreen Virtue, these cultural beliefs about really a lot of new age beliefs on, on, on uh, crystals and uh, Angels and different things can be traced back to a lady named Doreen Virtue. And I share that name with you for important things. One, if you've heard it, you probably understand her reputation and the things that she taught. But she would push this idea of a personal guardian angel, kind of that's there at your beck and call, and, and you, would, you would feel it brush by you every once in a while, and like your hair would raise and be like, whoa, you know, like what is happening? And so she really uh, taught a lot of these things. Um, the Bible does not teach that. 
The Bible teaches actually against nearly everything Doreen virtue taught, right? In terms of new age belief and crystals and, and the spiritual world and angels particularly. I challenge you to Google, and I, I rarely say this, Google the name Doreen Virtue. And I'll kind of ruin your Google for you here. Um, a few years ago, Doreen Virtue had a radical conversion with Jesus Christ. Somebody proclaimed the gospel to her. And this is, she, she taught the, the, the false teaching for years and years and years, and it affected much of culture and their belief. Dorian Virtue came into collision with the grace of Jesus Christ. And now, let me tell you, she is an on-fire disciple of Jesus Christ. That her last book, I haven't read it, but just by the title, it says, Deceived No More. And she goes back and she's like, listen, I want to talk about all these things that I was teaching that absolutely have no foundation and no merit. Let me tell you about the Jesus who has saved me. How incredible is that, right? But you need to know that these cultural, yeah, we we applaud for salvation. Let's applause for that, right? But these cultural underpinnings are true in terms of like they're out there and they're influencing even churches, even people who claim the name of Jesus. And so angels, yes, they help and protect God's people. Angels also execute God's judgment. We see this all over the pages, particularly of the Old Testament, that it's not, that the primary role of an angel is not protection. The primary role of an angel is to worship and to execute God's judgment for his redemptive plan to roll out. This is Exodus 32, where they make a, 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 a graven image, a golden image, right? And God says, listen, I'm going to judge you. And the way I'm going to judge you is I'm going to send one of my angels to judge you. And so they execute God's judgment to people who are disobedient. This is 2 Samuel 24, 1 Chronicles 21. Again, angels executing this judgment. Now, Kyle, why in the world spend all that time going through all those things? One, I want you to have a, at least a, a somewhat of a larger view of what biblically angels actually are and what they're not. And so you can kind of vet, say, well, I've always heard this or I've always thought that. And you need to test it against the word of God, all right? But also, this should bring us clarity on why the author of Hebrews would spend so much real estate in the first chapter talking about angels. Hebrews 1 is not about angels. Hebrews 1 is about Jesus. But there has been some confusion with these Jewish believers, right, around who is greater, the angels or Jesus. Because listen, that's a pretty good resume, isn't it? None of you are carrying that resume, right? Righteous and blameless? Worship God? Okay, we carry that one. Messengers, accomplishing, helping protect God's people, execute God's judgment? That's a pretty good resume. But what the author of, of Hebrews goes, listen, Jewish believers, I know you know this about angels, but what I want to remind you is this, Jesus is greater. That in your suffering in your persecution, in the martyrdom that is ahead for you. I want you to know this fact. Angels are great, and they are, are wonderful, yes, and they, they are helpful, and God uses them, but Jesus is better. Don't lose sight of that. Don't lose sight of that. Don't lose sight of that with all the things that you know that angels have accomplished and done. Second thing is this. I believe the author is also combating something that is a temptation, particularly even in our day and age. And that is the temptation for people to move away from biblical Christianity towards spirituality. And if, if you had to be honest, I bet many of your workplaces or schools or conversations you have with people, they borderline, even people who profess Christ, it's really just a cloaked form of spirituality, right? 
They treat Jesus, and listen, I don't think we're in, in grave danger here uh, at the Parks Church of, of worshiping angels, okay? I bet if we did a survey and we passed out a little survey card, we say, is Jesus greater than angels? I bet it would be 100%. Yes, Jesus is greater than angels, but what we are in danger of is just a form of spirituality. A form of spirituality where we, we attach Jesus' name to it, but do we actually understand who he is? Do we actually understand that he is greater and that he is better? Right? For, for maybe these Jewish believers, yeah, it was the fear of just accepting angels, Jesus as, as the greatest angel or as a, a co-equal angel. Because here's what I, I know is that when we begin to adopt spirituality, when we just begin to say generic things or have generic beliefs about things like angels or even generic things about Jesus Christ, you want to know what happens? The persecution and the tension seems to go away. You want to know when persecution happens? You want to know for these believers, when persecution actually began to roll out, it's when they stood up and they said, Jesus Christ is Lord. An exclusive claim that true biblical Christianity will bring tension in your life and in my life every single day. And some of you are not about that. Some of you have never experienced that because what you've adopted is a form of spirituality, not Christianity. Right? It will bring tension in your life personally, right? In my life, with sin, these struggles, these desires that we just talked about, that I'm like, Lord, I want you to change my desires. There's this tension. It'll bring tension in your life relationally, potentially. It'll bring tension in your life professionally, where because you are a true biblical Christian, there will be things that you wade into or don't wade into professionally. And there's a tension there. How about politically? Kyle, are you really going to go there? I'm going to go there. It's going to bring about political tensions in our lives, both in the left and on the right, if we truly are following Jesus of the Bible. Not a character of what we're handed culturally, okay? I'm talking if we really look at this Jesus and we go, he's better, he's greater than anything else, so I want my desires to be his desires. I want my allegiance to be to him alone. That's going to create some tension. That's going to create some tension every day of our lives. You want a tension-free life? Be a universalist. I don't know. Yeah, everything's spiritual. Now, Jesus makes some very stark claims about himself. That there's one name by which men and women are saved. There's one way we have access to the Father, and that's through him. And so here in Hebrews, we're being reminded through the way of angels that Jesus is greater. He's greater. But the author of Hebrews, he paints five ways in which Jesus is greater than the angels. And so I want to go through those really quickly. And if you have your Bible, you might notice, like in mine, all these indentions. That essentially means that what's being quoted is another passage. Seven Old Testament passages are being pulled out to show that Jesus is greater than the angels. And of those seven, five of them are the Psalms. You see, the writer of Hebrews is well aware of his audience. He's well aware that these people know the Old Testament. He knows they're, they're Jewish, right? They're Jewish Christians. They know the Old Testament. So he's using that to point to Jesus' greatness and supremacy. And so the first thing he says is this. He says, Jesus, he's greater than the angels because Jesus has a greater name. That's verses four and five. He says this, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Did you get that? His name is more excellent than theirs. He inherited a name. What is his name that is greater than their name? 
Is it Jesus? Is it Christ? Is it Lord? Yes, it's all those. But here's the specific one he's talking about. Son. Jesus carries the name son. Look at the verse five. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? And the answer to that is none of them. Not to one angel did God ever look at them and go, you're my son. Now, some of you are, you're actually students of your Bible and you know that angels in the Old Testament are sometimes called the sons of God. But none of them are ever referred to as the son of God. That is a title in a name reserved for Jesus Christ alone. And the writer of Hebrews goes, listen, that's what makes him greater, his name, his name's son, because everything that God is flows in and through him. And interestingly, we don't see Jesus called son until after his incarnation. So you're like, wait a minute, Kyle, was he not son until he was born? No, he's always been son. He's always been the son of God. I love what one author and scholar says, he says, son is Jesus's eternal name that was given exalted declaration in his resurrection and exaltation. No angel ever came close to that. Jesus has a greater name and that name is son. Second, Jesus has a greater glory. That's what he writes about next in verse six. He says, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, when Jesus is born, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Angels don't worship angels. We don't worship angels. We don't, we, don't, we, we, we don't get caught up in thinking about this, this, this angel or the guardian angel or the, this army angel. No, we get caught up in Jesus. The angels, you want to know who the angels worship? I already said this. They worship Jesus. He has a greater glory than they do, right? Angels are great. They're wonderful, and God uses them powerfully, and they are powerful, but they are not equal to Jesus. He has a greater glory. Their purpose and point is to worship him. If angels worshiped angels, that would be called sin, and they would be thrown out of heaven. Next, Jesus has a greater status. This is verses 7 through 9 in our text. He says, or the angels who says, he makes his angels winds and ministers of a flame, but to the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. That's a little different status, right? He says, to the angels, your ministers, your servants, that's your status. You do God's bidding. You worship him. To Jesus, what does he say? Yours is the throne forever and ever. Why? Because you're the son. It's a little different status. Jesus has a greater fourth existence. Verses 10 through 12. He says, And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. That is the existence of Jesus. You will have someone, hear me, you will have someone knock on your door at your house or your apartment and say, talk to you, and typically they'll have a pamphlet from their um, faith sect, and uh, they will say something about, oh yes, Jesus, he's great. But God created him. God created him. He was the first created being. And what you do is you need to go get your Bible, and you need to turn to this psalm, you need to turn here to Hebrews 1, and you say, no, Jesus always has been. Jesus was not created. He existed for all of time with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. God the Son was not created. And they'll say something fancy like, well, doesn't a fa- isn't a father above the son? And I would say, go back to Hebrews 1, where it says that the son sits at the right hand of the father in power and glory and equal 
equal. Jesus' existence is different than angels. Angels will, will come and go. Jesus will always be In fact, Hebrews 13, which we'll get to in about four and a half years, verse 8 says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You all know that verse. Do you know the implication of that verse? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know who that really hits home with? People who are suffering, people who are struggling. People who are wading through really deep waters, people who like these these Jewish uh, these Jewish uh, Christians who are about to be killed in Rome, going Jesus is the same as he has been, as he is, and he ever will be. You know who that has home for in this room. Those of you who are walking through the depths of life, it's just the waves are crashing against you. You can be confident in Jesus and who he was, and who he is, and who he will be forever. Listen, that's where you need to anchor your soul. Not in a fleeting spirituality. Not in a flimsy belief system that's not really rooted in anything. Not in angels, as great as they are. You root your life in Jesus. The cornerstone of our faith. The bedrock, the foundation to which we build our lives of. And then last is this. And this is how he closes in Hebrews, this chapter. Jesus has a greater vocation or job, a duty, role. You see, the clinching argument for Christ's superiority over angels is his vocation. This is verses 13 and 14. Christ reigns. Another word, rules. Christ is sovereign. And angels, what we see here in our text, is that they serve. That Jesus Christ rules supreme is proven by a passage quoted here more often in the New Testament than any other passage. This passage in Psalm 110, verse 1, Psalm 110, is quoted over 14 times in your New Testament. And this is what he says in Psalm 110 that he uses. He says, And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? You know what that shows? That shows Christ's vocation. That making the enemies a footstool for him show his supremacy. And he goes, what angels have that claim? What angels will have that role and that responsibility? And again, class, the answer is none. Only Jesus is the one whom God gives dominion and power and rule over everything and everyone, including the angels. You see, that's a scene painted also in Joshua chapter 10 about a victor. That as we come into the close here, we need to see that Jesus Christ is greater than the angels in any other spirituality or form of spirituality that we would tend to cling to. That he has a greater name, he has a greater glory, he has a greater status, he has a greater existence, and he has a greater role or vocation, and that is king. You see, in, in when this letter would have been read to the Hebrews, they wouldn't have just stopped at verse 14 like, I'm going to stop. They would have read the whole letter. And here's what they would have ran into, right? They would have went through this passage seeing Jesus is greater than the angels, and they had a pretty high view of the angels, and then they would have gotten over to Hebrews chapter 4. And imagine this with what we just talked about, this rolling off the reader's lips 
Hebrews 4, verse 16, a very familiar verse. He says, then let us now or then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Where do you turn in time of need? You don't turn to your guardian angel. You don't turn to some form of spirituality. You don't want to turn to to a God that you've created. You want to turn to the Jesus of the Bible, to his throne, because at that throne, his sovereign throne, where he rules and he reigns, here's what you will find. Mercy and grace. So church, let us with confidence, wherever we are, whether it's in triumph or tribulation, draw near to the throne of grace with confidence. And some of you, you need to hear this. You need to hear that this morning. You need to hear that that throne is going to meet you with mercy and grace. Not what you think it's gonna meet you with, with condemnation and shame. But Jesus is there wanting to meet you in power and authority to tell you this. Look at me. He loves you. He loves you. He's not ashamed of you. That his power and his grace and his authority is there to redeem you and save you. You say, well, I've received that salvation. He's there to remind you of that. Some of you, you're struggling through life. Come to that throne. Run to that throne. Throw yourself upon that throne. And what you will find is mercy and grace and strength in your deepest, darkest hour. Let's pray. Father, God, I thank you for the message of Hebrews. Got a message that I forget so often. God, I believe and trust in so many other things and areas and people. When you have called and asked that my faith be anchored and rooted in you alone. Oh God, and you'll use texts like this where angels are put up against Jesus and Jesus is seen as supreme. He's seen as greater. God, I thank you for the angelic hosts. I thank you that you provide these these angels to protect and serve and carry out missions and, and, and be in a realm that we can't see. Thank you for being so infinitely wiser and better than I can fathom. And so God, I pray for us as a community that you would give us faith to trust that fact. Even the unseen world to trust you that you're moving and you're orchestrating God, I thank you for the flashes and glimpses we have had of that, of your power and your might and your strength. But oh God, I ask that we never become confused on who we're worshiping. God, I pray that we would never be confused on whose power we're clinging to. Jesus, it's you. Jesus, you're better. And so Lord, I pray this week that that would be an anthem from our lips and from our lives, that you are better. God, help us not to substitute him for some cheap spirituality some fleeting, preferential version of Jesus. God, we want all of you. We want all of Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. Continue to make him clear to us so that we can walk in his way and be shaped into him and by him. Lord, I thank you for a church. I thank you for this commitment of this body to walk through passages and to be changed by them for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.